This is the third week in our five-part series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And last week we read the first part of chapter 2, where we got the good news that we are saved by grace through faith. And this week he continues that theme as we read the second part of chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built into it for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. When I was in college, they offered a study abroad program uh, in Heidelberg, Germany, and I took them up on it. It was a wonderful experience to be there, and uh, one week we took a field trip, and we went from West Germany to Berlin, which was in East Germany, and it was a big deal crossing that border. The, uh, you had to have the exact right paperwork, you had to have your passport, the guards came onto the, the train stopped at the border, the guards came on, checked everybody out before you could go on. We were crossing what Winston Churchill named the Iron Curtain, the wall between uh, the Western Europe and the Soviet-dominated Eastern Europe. And when we got to Berlin, sure enough, there was that giant gray concrete wall. A couple of years ago, we got a chance to go to Germany on vacation, Marine and the girls, and it was so wonderful to be able to drive around the whole country now You can go anywhere. There is no line between East and West Germany. Uh, You can go to Leipzig and see the church where Bach worked. You can go to Wittenberg, uh, where Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation. You can go to Berlin, and no more wall there. It was difficult, but those barriers have been taken down. This passage is about the taking away of barriers in life. When we think about barriers and hostility in today's world, one of the things that we read about every week in the newspaper is the hostility between Israel and the Palestinians. In fact, just this last week, the Prime Minister of Israel threatened to annex the entire West Bank. 
There's this continuing conflict that has been going on there. And the conflict goes back to this day and time that we just read about. The hostility between Jews and Gentiles, now that the Palestinians are Gentiles, anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile, and the hostility was so strong back in those days. In fact, the Jews said that the Gentiles were created by God to be the fuel for the fires of hell. That was the purpose of the Gentiles. It was not even lawful to render help to Gentile women in childbirth, for that would be bringing another Gentile into the world. The barrier between Jew and Gentile was absolute. If a Jew married a Gentile, they held a funeral for that Jew. Even going into a Gentile house rendered a Jew unclean. Paul says the Gentiles had no hope because they were without Christ. A better translation is, they were without the hope of the Messiah. The Jews had this hope that no matter bad, how bad things were under the Roman occupation, that someday a Messiah would come and would deliver them. But the Gentiles didn't have that hope. So Paul says now, in this passage, there's a new game in town. The Gentiles have the same hope that the Jews have because Jesus' promises are for them too. The wall is broken down between Gentiles and Jews. We're going to look at a few of the phrases, beautiful phrases that Paul uses in this passage One of the things he says is that the Gentiles who were far off are now brought near by Jesus. They're brought near. When rabbis in those days spoke about accepting a convert into Judaism, they would say that they had been brought near. In fact, Jewish rabbinic writers tell how a Gentile woman came to ask, came to Rabbi Eleazar, and she confessed that she was a sinner and asked to be admitted to the Jewish faith. Rabbi, she said, bring me near. But he refused, and the door was shut in her face. They were not really looking for converts from Gentiles. But now Paul says the door is open. Those who had been far from God are brought near, and the door is shut to no one. In those days, you can even see it in the architecture of the Jewish temple. There was a series of increasingly smaller courts that would get more and more exclusive. The largest court in the temple was the the court of the Gentiles, which meant that anybody could go in that court. And there was a little hole in the wall, and then you would go into a smaller court that only Jews could go into. Then there was a, a smaller court that only men could go to, and that led to another smaller court that only the priests could go into. And then there was the tiniest place called the Holy of Holies, that only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. So all of those walls between those different courts, Paul says, Jesus has broken them down. That there are no more walls segregating people like that. Fences are a vain attempt to keep apart what God delights in seeing together. Fences are a human tendency that we have to try to keep apart things that God wants together. Philip Gibbs wrote, The problem of fences has grown to be one of the most acute that the world must face. Today there are all sorts of zigzag and crisscrossing fences running through the races and people of this world. Modern progress has made the world world a neighborhood. God has given us the task 
of making it a brotherhood and a sisterhood. The idea of trying to put up a fence to keep out people from the southern border is hopeless because people who are desperate will always find a way to make it through. You know that old uh, Chris Christopherson song, Me and Bobby McGee? There's a line that says, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. When you have nothing left to lose, you'll do anything. I'm a little skeptical about fences and walls because I visited China one time and took a tour of the Great Wall of China. And uh, on the tour, they say that it's the only man-made structure visible from space. You can see it from space. And the tour guide showed us around. It's pretty amazing to, to think that people actually were able to build this thing. And then at the end of the tour, she said, yeah, she said, it's too bad it didn't work. Said, uh, right after they built it, the Mongols took over. They got in and took over the country. It was unsuccessful at keeping them out. Our job in this world, in the world divided by race, class, and religion, is once again to proclaim the message of the all-inclusive Christ, in whom there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. Anthropologists tell us that human beings evolved from lower forms of life in the Rift Valley of East Africa. All of our DNA can be traced back to that place. So in some sense, everybody is an African. Once we were together as one people long ago, and God dreams of us seeing each other as brothers and sisters after all our wanderings over the earth. The other phrase that's so beautiful in this passage is when Paul says, speaking of Jesus, and he says, he is our peace. Jesus, in your heart, is the one who can give you peace. Personal peace. To know of your acceptance by God. To know of your forgiveness. To get rid of guilt for things that you've done wrong. To get rid of fear of the future and worry. Jesus can provide us with personal peace. And we'll never have peace in the world until we have personal peace in people's hearts. That'll be the thing that can help us to then work for a better world. President Obama always loved to quote Martin Luther King, who said, the moral arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. Sometimes we get a few glimpses along the way of that justice. I read this week the story of Vivian Malone, in 1963, she was a young black woman who tried to enroll in the University of Alabama. She was stopped by George Wallace and the Alabama National Guard. You know, late in his life, George Wallace had a total change of heart about segregation. He came to the conclusion that he was wrong. And he wanted to apologize to the African Americans so he arranged to go to the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church and to make a public apology and ask for forgiveness. He also wanted to reconcile with Vivian Malone. So he arranged to have a meeting with her. Now this is after the attempt on his life where he was uh, shot and he was paralyzed and he was in a wheelchair. But they brought Vivian Malone to him and he asked for her forgiveness. 
And she said, oh, Governor Wallace, I forgave you a long time ago. She, she said, I, I, I did that a long time ago. And people asked her why. She said, well, you see, this may sound weird, but I'm a Christian. And I was taught that we're all equal in the eyes of God. And I was taught that we have to forgive each other no matter what. And that's why I did it, because Jesus said to. That's a glimpse of the kind of world that God wants. It says that we're a new person because there's no more scorekeeping. Verse 15, he abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances, thus making peace. The law was the Jewish code. The over 600 different rules that are in the Old Testament that you had to keep. Everything from how many times you got to wash your hands to what kind of food you can eat to what kind of clothes you can wear. It's all in there. And you got to keep them all perfectly in order to be saved, to have salvation. But Paul says that Jesus came and changed the whole ballgame. No more keeping count. No more rules. It's all grace and faith. Everyone is welcome now. Take the barriers away, because even those who don't keep the rules are welcome. I had an interesting experience in this barrier thing when I was in Miami. I was, it was the early 90s, and uh, a 27-year-old man named Martin came to, vi- to visit me, made an appointment, he came into my office. He told me that he was gay and that he had AIDS, and that he had been a member of the Baptist Church, the Miami Shores Baptist Church, but that when he told the church and the minister that he was gay, he was told that he couldn't sing in the choir anymore. He could be a member of the church, but he was not allowed to be in leadership. Did you guys know you were in leadership? You are. You are. And he wanted to know if he could sing in the choir at the Presbyterian Church and be a leader. And I said, of course you can. So he came in, joined the tenor section of the choir, started volunteering, various activities, and uh, he, uh, he was elected a deacon. And he was such a great deacon that in his last year, he became the chair of the deacons. And then he was elected a trustee Uh, and he was such a good trustee that he was the chair of the trustees. He began to lead mission trips and was an incredible force in that church. And when it came time for me to leave and to come here, I had lunch with Martin. I said, Martin, if I could just take one draft pick from this church to take to California and to start up there, I would take you. You know... He came into my office wanting to know if there was a barrier to his service to Jesus Christ. And we need to keep doing everything that we can in our world today to take down any barriers that remain for those who would like to serve God through Jesus Christ. It's a new game when you have been standing, when those who have been standing far off are brought near. It's a new game when peace is not a concept but a way of being on a daily basis. It's a new game when you're a new person because of grace. There are two words in Greek for new. The first word is neos, which is something which is new to me, but not necessarily new in the world. So, for example, if I buy a new pen, it's new. It's my new pen, 
but pens have been around for a long time. But there's another word called kainos, which means a totally new thing, a new invention, something that has not been before in the world. That's the word that Paul uses in our text of the new person. He says when you take the Jew and the Gentile and you combine them, you have a new person. And the new person in Christ that Christ comes to is a new kind of person who does not acknowledge the barriers in our world. There's another interesting term that he uses. He says Jesus doesn't just bring people together. He gives us access to God. The word that he uses is a prosagogue. They had in those days a thing called a prosagogius, which was the person who introduced you to the king or the queen. You know, you can't just walk in and, and see the king or queen. You have to be introduced formally, ushered into the presence of the king or the queen. That's what Paul says, that's what Jesus does to us for God. He gives us access, allows us to enter into the presence of God. The work of Jesus is to show all people that God is their friend, and so therefore they must be friends with each other. The unity in Christ produces Christians whose Christianity trends local and racial differences. And it produces people who are friends with each other because they are friends with God. This passage that we read is a very special one to me. And I had an opportunity to experience it one time several years ago when I was in Malawi. Not this past trip in June, but before when Maureen and I were there. We, we went up to the, the very northern part of the country to a place called the Livingstonia Mission Station. This was started by David Livingston, and it's in a very, very remote place there. It's still to this day, there is a mission station there and a little small hospital. And when we went there, they have a little museum that, that told an amazing story that I, I had never heard of before. In the 60s, just before uh, Malawi became an independent country, back when it was a British colony called Nyasaland, there had been racial conflict. And in fact, some white farmers and tea plantation owners had been killed by Malawians. And the British government was concerned for the safety of the Scottish missionaries who were up there at Livingstonia Station. And because it was hard to get to, they sent a plane that dropped a canister that had a letter in it. And the letter to the missionaries asked them if they were safe, if they felt safe there, or if they wanted to be evacuated. They said that if you want to be evacuated, make a large E on the ground. And if you want to stay, make a big S on the ground. So the missionaries stayed up all night painting bricks white. And they went out and they put a huge S on the ground in front of the mission station. And underneath it, in white bricks, they wrote out Ephesians 2.14. And the next day, when the plane came back to see the answer, the pilot happened to have a camera with him. And he took a photograph of the big white S and the letters Ephesians 2.14. 
And the wire services picked up that photograph and it went all around the world. Europe, all kinds of places, and in the museum there, they have the pictures from the newspapers all around the world where the story of the missionaries who decided to stay and claimed that the reason was Ephesians 2.14. That's the verse that we read this morning. For he is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. There are no words that we more desperately need to hear in our world today. May God bless us as we seek to live out the promise that Jesus holds forth with us in those words. Amen.